Hello everyone, welcome to Oxford Policy Pod. I'm your host, Paola Galvez Callirgos, a Peruvian attorney passionate about leveraging technology to advance inclusion and to transform Latin America into a more digital and inclusive society. In this episode, we will talk about artificial intelligence and the public sector. AI has gone from science fiction to a critical part of our everyday lives. Governments are not the exception. The public sector in many countries has been transforming and harnessing the power of AI through personalized services and automated processes. Consider Singapore's Ask Jamie, a virtual assistant that helps citizens and business navigate the government services through an AI-powered chat. Today's guest is Dr. Carlos Santis, who has worked in over two dozen countries in various capacities in multilateral development banks, bilateral aid agencies, and policy think tanks. Currently, Carlos heads the Digital, Innovative, and Open Government Division at the OECD. Thank you for joining us and welcome, Carlos. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me, Paola. And it's a pleasure to be here with you and with all the students here at Oxford. So let's dive in. Let me begin with some questions about the OECD work. How were the Observatory of Public Sector Innovation and the Digital Government and Data Unit at the OECD addressing the opportunities and challenges presented by artificial intelligence in the public sector? You know, thank you, Paola. I think uh, we, uh, we, we do a lot of things around, uh, uh, around artificial intelligence, which is changing really uh, our everyday lives. And uh, there's a lot of work that is ongoing at the Observatory of Public Sector Innovation in terms of really making sure that we also document a lot of the use cases of artificial intelligence on how we can improve the way governments think and uh, work and uh, deliver services to citizens. And uh, uh, there's a lot of debate and there's a lot of discussion every day uh, now uh, with the GTP and other generative AI issues around the the existential risk around artificial intelligence and i think we uh, i think here the challenge we have is to find the right balance between the benefits and the risk of artificial intelligence the benefits in terms of improving the way uh, governments function internally in terms of their operation and and a lot of the uh, tasks that they do and also improving the way they interact with citizens and deliver services uh, and, uh, and and better understand what people needs are so that they can better Uh, improve the targeting and efficiency of the policies, for example, in the area of social protection, so that, where, for example, the benefits, social benefits that people are expecting, especially in times of crisis, are, are really targeted to those who need the most, them the most. And I think there's a lot of benefits as well in terms of uh, improving, uh, uh, let's say, the ability to better understand how policies are made and the impact they have uh, on citizens. But I think the most benefit it has is really a, a augmenting human intelligence with artificial intelligence in the sense of, uh, uh, in the sense of better understanding what people needs and and uh, and yeah, what people needs are. Uh, so I think the uh, the opportunity also has is really putting citizens at the center of government in the way they deliver services. So a lot of the things that we are doing at the OECD in general and the Observatory of Public Sector Innovation in particular is document all these uh, use cases. And for example, we do that through a global code on uh, innovations in uh, global innovations in government, uh, the, the later of which had had more than a thousand entries and a, th a thousand submissions 
from over 90 uh, countries around the world. And some of the challenges related to how you leverage artificial intelligence. I think we need to be in mind that there's, you know, while a lot of people are talking about it, the use of artificial intelligence in many governments is still uh, nations and incipient. But at the same time, also there's needs to identify what are the risks and or what are the, how you can manage and mitigate some of the risk in terms of bias, in terms of discrimination, in terms of exclusions. And I think that's also where where uh, the observatory and the the work of the OECD is important, in maybe in two ways. I would say the the, the first one is that you know the uh, the work artificial intelligence at the end of the day depends on the quality of data on which it is trained and that the, the one that it uses. And therefore, there's a lot of uh, synergies and a lot of uh, discussions to be had between artificial intelligence and data governance, uh, not in only in terms of data privacy, but also in terms of quality of data, uh, how the data that these algorithms are using, whether they are representative and they are um, they are inclusive in, in many ways. So a lot of the work, for example, in the data um, uh, unit of, the, of my division really works around data governance. One of the things we work on is around principles of ethics, of the ethical use of data in the public sector and data ethics and what does that mean in, in particular. And I, I will conclude there, Paola, you know, with this sort of second thing that we do because at the OECD, there's a lot of research, there's a lot of evidence-based research uh, and a lot of research that is really directed to policy. Uh, but those also are, are translated into uh, recommendations both for governments, but also for uh, more broadly uh, around the global standards that are required in this uh, in this space. So a lot of this work that is doing uh, that we do informs, uh, the, let's say, policy guidelines and uh, global standards on the, on the, on different numbers of issues. For example, around data governance, uh, around digital government, and uh, in, two th in 2019, the OECD has had develop some principles for AI uh, governance, and this is something that we work on. From where I work, we, we, we work in particular around the use of AI in the public sector, for the public sector, in government. Because we often talk about the role of governments as regulators, but I think uh, there's also a big role also in terms of users, governments as users of those tools, and therefore uh, how you're going to govern their use and deployment within the public sector. Thank you, Carlos. Exactly. And this major uh, work or task that you mentioned in covering different best practices help countries uh, such as Peru, for instance, which is one of the countries that follow the OECD reports and works to um, follow these examples and bring into reality. Um, so now that we're talking about uh, these, do you think um, you can provide us with some examples of how AI is being used in the public sector to enhance citizen engagement, decision making, and better service delivery. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, there's a, and, uh, and you find, uh, and, and I invite all your colleagues and uh, fellow students at Oxford to also visit the fantastic website of the Observatory of Public Sector Innovation that has a lot of these case studies and these cases of application. Uh, I think uh, maybe I'll, I'll zoom in in Latin America because we just produced a report last year around artificial intelligence in the public sector in Latin America uh, with the Development Bank of Latin America, the CAF, that was also reflecting some of these use cases. 
And I think one of the important issues that uh, the use depends on the needs, obviously, and the problems you want to address. And they're very context and country specific. So uh, different countries also have different needs and therefore uh, different the way, uh, uh, let's say, policy domains in which they apply uh, artificial intelligence. And it was quite interesting to see, for example, a lot of the use cases in Latin America around the issue of transparency, integrity, and the anti-corruption, which is a, 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 a way, uh, an interesting uh, reflection, if you will, of some of the policy challenges that these countries are facing in terms of improving integrity in the public sector. So, for example, you have cases in which a lot of government procurement agencies are using procurement data to flag anomalies in procurement. For example, when you have when you have uh, one sole provider of uh, goods for different municipalities, or um, so there's the case, for example, of the Mexican audit agency that was really using procurement data to flag anomalies or irregularities that could direct their work. You have another case, for example, in Brazil of the the, the audit office also deploying uh, cases such as Alice. Alice which is a artificial intelligence robot, also doing this type of analysis. Uh, you have cases, for example, in Colombia or Theano, it's a platform that really goes beyond procurement data to use other type of data to really flag uh, suspicious behaviors or anomalies in different data related to the use of public resources. Um, so you see that uh, there was a number of cases where governments are uh, and, and the broader public sector can use some of these uh, technologies to uh, to improve transparency, but also to Im to improve the ability to analyze data in a way that uh, flags uh, uh, anomalies and uh, and, and irregularities. Um, I think there another case where there's a lot of uh, use uh, of those uh, applications are in the social policy domain. For example, in the way that you target social transfers to uh, the most vulnerable populations. Uh, that's case, these are cases that are interesting because they're also uh, in times of crisis where it's really, really important to really estimate the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, to better target uh, those transfers. For example, there was a case in Colombia around the use of uh, AI to, uh, to, uh, to better target uh, the, uh, the bono social for, uh, for, for these uh, beneficiaries. Um, but there's a ton, ton, tons of cases in which the 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 use the smart use of data and the artificial intelligence improve the quality of all those policies. It sounds fantastic, and especially that you mentioned uh, how AI can be harnessed all their benefits to improve transparency, uh, integrity, right? And especially about these, uh, through your different participation on conferences and social media, uh, one can say that you are an advocate of algorithmic transparency uh, in the public sector. Um, so I would like to ask you if you can share with us why transparency matters and how can governments promote it? Yeah, no, no, thanks. That's a, that's a fascinating question, Paola, because it's, it's both the, the issue that... Uh, you know, technology and AI in particular become a really potent ally for for integrity and anti-corruption. But it also requires integrity in the use of those uh, tools. So, uh, you know, tech is good for integrity, but there needs to be integrity in tech in that in that sense. Um, 
and and uh, and it's quite quite also interesting to see some of the early use cases of artificial intelligence in that domain, and in particular, uh, tax authorities and uh, social ministries have used AI to to identify or to f- to flag or to prevent fraud in social benefits. And you have cases, for example, in the Netherlands or more recently in uh, in uh, in Australia around um, uh, tax repayments. That, that were interesting because they were really quite effective at you know sometimes flagging issues, but the way uh, the algorithms were constructed had, had significant flaws in terms of the data that they were using and the assumptions that they were using. And nowadays, uh, these two cases, for example, in uh, the Netherlands and and uh, uh, and Australia, have. Uh, have, have led to quite uh, quite big crises and scandals in the sense that uh, they were discovered, for example, in the case of Netherlands, that they were uh, wrongfully identifying populations that were supposed to benefit from those uh, social benefits, social transfers, but by but they they were flagged by the algorithm that are not as not doing it as 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 not entitled to. Um, and there was a case uh, that was brought by uh, civil society and the person in the Netherlands that really called for more uh, transparency and accountability in the algorithm that was used. And actually, it was found not to be compliant with the ethical standards in terms of robustness of the quality of the algorithm and the quality of the data. And, and then the case evolved into a political scandal as well that forced the government to resign in the Netherlands. I think it was a four or five years ago, and there was an inquiry and there was a case in courts in which the government was found uh, responsible for the unintentional but bad use of that algorithm in, the, in, in that specific case. The, the, um, I think these cases also show uh, that before you deploy this system, you really need to understand the governance of it or to strengthen the governance of that. In particular, in the public sector, that has a duty of care uh, more than in other sectors in terms of the public policies, in, in particular in the, in the social area. So uh, uh, a lot of countries have developed uh, from these crises a lot of, um, let's say, tools and standards to uh, to make sure that uh, AI is used for good. Um, and actually, in the case of the Netherlands, uh, there was an, an audit of... Uh, Six or nine algorithms of the on the government that were used, for example, by the police or immigration services, and most of them were used were were found to be non-compliant with the existing standards. So there was a lot of wake-up call about you need better regulation of AI in the public sector and for the public sector, and that includes, for example, standards on uh, uh, degrees of transparency of those algorithms. So for and that. For example, a principle that both the OECD and the UNESCO have put forward is the transparency of the algorithm that are used to make decisions uh, or to support the decisions that are made and the, the need for having human control of, over the decision that is made. And therefore, the principle of transparency in algorithms uh, of AI used by the public sector is quite an important one, but a difficult one to implement. And so a number of countries uh, have gone forward uh, uh, to put those in place. For example, France in twenty. 16, with the law of the Digital Republic, has mandated all public entities using algorithms to put that in uh, open repositories. Uh, cities like Amsterdam or Helsinki are now, just this morning also, uh, Barcelona, have set up 
open registries of uh, algorithms that are useful by the public sector that explain how they work, uh, what data they use, and that improves the transparency of those uh, of those tools. And but you have other principles for ensuring an ethical use of AI. For example, having ex ante impact assessment, one impact that these uh, algorithms are going to have uh, before you deploy. So a little bit like in the in the pharmaceutical industry. I mean, you have to make sure that before you use or deploy such uh, potent technology that you test it in a way that you ensure that uh, it does no harm. Another principle, for example, that is required and that is put forward by the OECD in NESCO and others is explainability. Uh, people who are uh, also, you know, people who, whose life is affected by an algorithm need to be able to, uh, to be explained how uh, those decision, the decisions are made and how algorithms or AI solutions are used in that case. So there needs also to be a way for people to have uh, sort of access or recourse and also redress, a means of redress in case, in case of uh, uh, usages of AI solutions in different solutions, being getting a credit, uh, getting a, a, a pension and other, other rights and benefits. Correct. And and now that you mentioned those uh, very interesting cases, also I would like to invite the audience to visit uh, the OPSI website because recently you guys uh, published the case of Chile, uh, which is also working on a standard of algorithm transparency, uh, thanks to the joint work between the Chilean Universidad Adolfo Ibáñez and the Council for Transparency. So that would be a great example in Latin America in terms of bringing transparency and using technology in the public sector. Uh, and, and also in uh, continuing uh, with the, the principles and, and what we are looking uh, as a great example of uh, AI in the public sector, inclusion is one of them. Uh, we both know uh, SDG 5 is about gender equality, SDG 10 promotes reduced inequalities. In that sense, Carlos, considering your experience, uh, how can governments ensure that AI technologies are accessible and beneficial to all citizens, including marginalized and vulnerable population? Mm -hmm. No, no, that's a wonderful question, Paola, because it's also one of the risks of, of, of these systems. Because basically, at the end of the day, these AI systems depend on data. Depend on data, the data that they use, that the, the algorithms are using to be trained. And you have issues about uh, training data for those algorithms that tend to be to come from uh, the same countries, let's say. Uh, and, but also then the, the, the data that feeds the algorithm when it's, uh, when it's used. So I think you point out to a very important risk is that at the end of the day, the quality of both the algorithm, but also the AI solution that is applied to a specific policy purpose, will then depend on the quality of the data, right? And that quality of the data also depends on how it's generated and how it's collected. And then uh, you have a, a lot of uh, uh, countries and economies in Latin America and in other areas, for example, that are characterized by a lot high degree of informality and inequality, but in particular informality. That means that a, lo a lot of people are maybe off-system, off-grid, and especially those most vulnerable are not necessarily generating a data footprint that will then inform these automated decision processes that feed themselves on data. 
I think that's a very important challenge that we need to think about in terms of how we make sure that, especially in informal economies and societies, the data that is used by automated decision-making, automated, automated uh, tools such as AI, are a true reflection or true representation of the population, especially in, so in the social area, uh, uh, but also in health and education, for example. Um, so I think that's a, that's a critical challenge. And some of the risk I see, it's, it's about new forms of poverty, you know, what, we are, what I call the data poor. So all the, those people that do not necessarily generate the sufficient data so to be captured in, a, in, a, in an efficient way. And I think there needs to be a lot of innovation in, in the way that this, this, this can be done. Definitely. Um, and now that you mentioned innovation, uh, this week we saw six congressmen in Costa Rica presented a bill to regulate AI, which was entirely drafted by ChatGPT. Uh, as generative AI unfolds rapidly, governments become users at the same time that regulators, uh, you, you mentioned it just now. So what are your recommendations for policymakers to achieve agile and smart AI regulation, Carlos? No, that's, a, that's another excellent question, Paola, because it's really about, the, you know, the, uh, the, at the end of the day, especially in disruptive technologies that are changing so fast, regulation is required, uh, but it's doing, always doing catch-up. Uh, and there's, a, there's really an issue about uh, about regulating, I mean, agile regulation of disruptive technologies. Because the example that you mentioned around ChatGTP, for example, I think six months ago, nobody really was thinking uh, about it. And even the European Union that, that has advanced most in terms of the AI regulation has been caught off guard and, and then has, has needed to re, uh, reinvent or reconsider the regulations. And a lot of organizations, including the OECD, are, are looking at uh, providing guidance around how to use ChatGTP uh, tools in uh, in your own work, for example, in the in the public services, because that's going to be a game changer. But I think it's a broader issue here. It's a, it's really around, um, and I think um, it seems to me that we are a little bit at a critical juncture, an inflection point, uh, because a lot of these decisions that are made nowadays is not only about sector regulation or technical regulation. It's about political choices that we're making as societies in terms of what future or what digital future we would want, especially the discussion around uh, non, uh, you know, too risky uses of AI. Uh, uh, we see that, for example, around the issue of disinformation and mis and disinformation, where you, uh, you, you have more of these tools that are also used for ban, and therefore, you know, that, that represents a lot of uh, issues uh, when you combine uh, generative AI and, and other type of immersive uh, technologies. Um, the, 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 you know, the issue is more, I think, at this stage, I mean, it's as much as political as technical in, this, in the sense of uh, the values and the principles that are more important and that you ensure you need to ensure that the, the the development of the technologies is adhering to those values and principles in particular in democratic societies and in democratic countries and what is acceptable and what is not acceptable and for example in that space we have i mean the issue of regulation of ai is part of a bigger discussion 
around uh, digital rights or you know individual right, individual and collective rights in the in the digital area, uh, and that is really a, a political discussion. You see that in uh, artificial intelligence. You see that around mis and disinformation and social media regulation, for example. You start to have a discussion that is uh, also urgently required around new technologies and freedom of thought, for example. And so there's a number of these technologies that are going very fast. And I think, yes, regulation is important, but it, we always do catch up. And therefore, it needs to be agile in the way it adapts also itself and regulate uh, uh, not necessarily the technology, but the uses that are made of those. And I think that there's a lot of the discussion, in particular in the United States, around this, what kind of regulation we're talking about. But I think more fundamentally, there's an issue around the political decision uh, as societies on the, on the, on the future, and what are our principles and values that need to be uh, defended online and offline. And I think, for example, in the OECD, there's a lot of work we do around what we mean about the civic space, about all these political and and individual freedoms and rights uh, that are required for democratic institutions to thrive, that also need to be guaranteed in the online world as well. Uh, so I hear, hear the point about regulation is really also putting that into the broader political context in terms of democratic values and, and digital rights. Thank you very much, Carlos. It's been a fantastic conversation. Now it's time to wrap up our discussion. I would just uh, like to ask you for a final message to the Master's of Public Policy students at the University of Oxford that are about to finish the master's degree and either will resume or start their career in public service and will face this technological world and public sectors that are, has been transformed. So what will be your message for, for us? No, it's a message of, uh, of good luck also because you need to finish your master's as well and finish your studies at Oxford, but also an invitation to really, to really put your best mind into this, this field. I think it's, it's a very uh, passionate field in terms of how digital is transforming governments, it's transforming public policy. It has a lot of benefits and potential, but it also has a lot of risk to be mitigated. And that's why, uh, you know, students like you at the, at the Berlin School of Public Policy at the Oxford University in particular, you know, really need to think about the policy and governance challenges that these uh, disruptions are representing. And I think there's a, there's a lot of more to be done. And I think there's a lot of, you know, a lot of issues that, a lot of your colleagues and, and fellow students will be able to put their best mind to it. So again, and thank you, Paola, for the invitation again, and good luck to all. Thank you for being part of this episode. Uh, and to all of you, our audience, please remember to follow us on social media. You can find us on Instagram as Oxford Policy Pod under Dash and on Twitter as Oxford Policy Pod. <laughs>